last week we looked at Isaiah chapter 64 and starting with verse 1, the prophet Isaiah cries out and he says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Hey, anytime God comes down, it's a party. Can I get an agreement? It's, it's going to be a party. And, and Isaiah says, rend the heavens. Come down and shake the mountains. Come down that the mountains would shake before you. You see, I, I talked about how the first heavens... The Bible calls the first heavens immediately over the earth the place where principalities of darkness rule. And they influence people. They set you up for hurts. They set you up for disappointment. And then they will help you to come to conclusions that line up with what's in Satan's heart. And it's always contrary to what lines up with God's heart. He will set you up. He will set us up. He sets me up for hurt and failure, for one disappointment after another. And the same way God builds brick upon brick. You know, when the Bible talks about building truth, it uses this phraseology. Line upon line, precept upon precept, principle upon principle. When you build a house, you stagger bricks and they're interlocked. And it makes a strong structure. With belief systems, we, we build one thought that leads to another thought that leads to another thought. They become interlocking and we continue to build. The problem is that if our thoughts are not lining up with God's thoughts, we're building a house but it becomes a stronghold of darkness. And so the enemy, because he lives in the atmosphere over the immediate earth, he is always manipulating circumstances in our lives and bringing little preachers of some perverted gospel into our environment to advocate philosophy, belief systems, and cultures that are contrary to how God says we should think and what we should believe. They understand that if we do that, they understand that if they could seduce us through hurts and wounds and bitterness unrepented of and to get us to come to conclusions in our thought life and in our emotions that don't line up with God, not only will they fill the immediate heavens over the earth, they will fill the hearts of humanity with strongholds that will keep us imprisoned. Amen. Last week I'm, I, I read many scriptures on how God builds on a foundation of righteousness and justice. But righteousness isn't just an action. Righteousness is first a belief system. The righteous acts of God follow the fact that everything about God in thought, in word, and in action is righteous. Actions follow thought. 
action follows belief systems. And what we believe determines how we live. And the enemy understands that if he can control, to control the earth and to maintain his control, he has to get the whole world in agreement. And he doesn't, now understand what I mean by that. He doesn't have to get you all in agreement with each other. How many of you know? <laughs> that just doesn't happen. No, you see, because he comes from a place of disorder, he doesn't have to get you in agreement with anybody else or the rest of the world. All he has to do is get you out of agreement with God. There is one absolute, and the absolute is God. And the truth of God is absolutely absolute. And all he has to do is to get us in agreement with him to disagree with God. And by doing that one thing, he has access to control your mind, your emotions, and your future, as well as your present. And so he goes from being the God of the air or the prince of the air, as Paul described him, as Jesus described him. And he goes from that to being the strong man who holds territory in our lives. As I preached last week, I talked about imploding the kingdom of darkness. The number one key to imploding the kingdom of darkness, to rending the heavens, demonic strongholds in the atmosphere, as well as demonic strongholds in us. The number one key is repentance. Repentance isn't an emotion. A feeling sorry. Emotion isn't an occasional, here I wrote this, let's put this on the screen. Last week I said this. Can I have um, repentance isn't something, there you go. Repentance isn't something we do at monumental moments of sin in our lives. Repentance is the continual journey of becoming more and more sensitive to what grieves the Holy Spirit of God. As I move forward in my life, as we move forward in our life, you know, it's nice to know our sins are forgiven, our names are written in the book of life, we're going to heaven. But God wants to fill the earth the same way the devil wants to fill people with his opinion. As long as what you believe is contrary to what God says. He doesn't care whether you two agree or disagree. It doesn't matter to him. The mere fact that in some area he has you in disagreement with God and another area he has you in disagreement with God, you both are in agreement with him. And so repentance is a matter of turning back, turning away. And anything that we have built our lives on that doesn't line up with what the Word of God says, we literally have to turn our back on it and walk in the opposite direction in line with God's Word. Can I get an agreement? We found last week that the word rend means to, and if you would put this slide up, Matt, 
the word rend is actually quite a strong word to remove from its place by violence, to split or tear apart in pieces by violence. And when we say God rend the heavens, when Isaiah the prophet says God rend the heavens, he's not talking about the second and third heavens that God fills. The heavens of God don't need to be torn apart. The Bible speaks of three heavens, and the first heaven, as I said, is the heavens immediately over the earth. And the prophet Isaiah is wanting revival when he says, come down, rend the heavens and come down. This man is crying out for revival, and the way to have revival on the earth is that the heavens of the demonic realm need to be violently ripped apart and torn down. Can I get an agreement, church? And to confirm that, he then says, shake the mountains. When you understand uh, uh, the figurative uh, analogies of Scripture, mountains relate to kingdoms. The prophet Daniel, Daniel is a young man taken as a, a, a slave uh, together with other Hebrew young men into the kingdom of Babylon. And in the kingdom of Babylon, he starts to hear from God and starts to see things in the spirit. He starts to interpret dreams and get visions. And one of the visions or dreams, actually a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, was of this huge statue and it represented four kingdoms on earth. And Daniel told him what those four kingdoms were. The first one, the head, being Babylon. He then says... There was a mountain, I saw a hand come down out of heaven, and it cut a rock out of a mountain, the kingdom of God. The rock is Jesus Christ. He said that rock came down to earth and hit the feet of the statue, the fourth kingdom. The fourth kingdom, starting with Babylon, was the Roman Empire, and it caused that kingdom to be crushed and all the other kingdoms to be crushed under it. And then that rock turned into a great mountain and it filled the whole earth. Mountains, that's the kingdom of God. Jesus came during the Roman Empire preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And as people get born again, the kingdom of God is growing and spreading around the earth. It's an invisible kingdom. It's not a geographical kingdom, not at this time. It is a spiritual kingdom, and no one can keep it out. No nation can keep it out. They can have all the nuclear weapons they want. The kingdom of God invades the Iron Curtain, the Bamboo Curtain. It invades the Great Wall of China. Hallelujah. It invades the locked-up walls of human hearts. And God knows how to get into each person's heart and mind. Can I get an agreement? So kingdoms are often symbol, uh, symbolized by mountains. When the Bible talks about let's go to the mount of the Lord, it's talking about let's go to that realm of God's kingdom on his holy mount, the kingdom of God. And so here's Isaiah crying out and praying and he says, God, Rip open, tear apart the realm of demonic control and influence that is affecting the people on earth. And then he says, shake up the mountains. 
Let the kingdom of darkness be in tatters. How many of you want to see the kingdom of darkness be in tatters? The number one way to see the kingdom of darkness in tatters is when you and I hear me, because we all cheered. Now we're all going to be accountable. Is when we repent of every attitude, every ideology, every thought process, every belief system that doesn't line up totally with the Word of God. And we turn from it and we say, God, that's sin. And I was part of sin because I had a belief system that was contrary to yours. I repent. Repent isn't just an emotion. It's an action. It's turning the other way and changing your mind. When we repent, repentance is the first thing that will rend the heavens because when we repent, the first thing it does is it rends, it tears apart strongholds in us. Amen. See, repentance isn't feeling sorry for some isolated sin you committed. It's not even an emotion. You could whip yourself, beat yourself up. I'm an idiot. I'm stupid. Oh, God doesn't love me. No one could love me. I'm such a goof. I'm a failure. I'm always going to screw up. That's a worthless sacrifice, a futile emotion. And it doesn't move God's heart. Because number one, God's not even in agreement with that. You're not an idiot, you're not useless, and uh, you're not a failure. Hello? You see, in the book of Hebrews, Paul is talking about <clears throat> Esau. And Esau was godless. The things of God were meaningless to him. And so here he had the blessing of God to be the firstborn. And his brother wanted it. Esau didn't care about it. Esau was hungry. So his brother said, listen, you give me the blessing of being the firstborn, and I'll give you this pot of lentils. Esau said, you know what? This God stuff is a bunch of baloney. I, you know, it's not a priority to me. Dad... It's going to give me the blessing of firstborn. Woohoo! So big deal. I want to eat. Give me the lentils. You could have the blessing. He was godless. The things of God, hear me, it's coming at you. When the things of God are not the number one priority in our lives, biblically speaking, that's godlessness. When the things of God are not the priority in our life, that is godlessness. We are without God's divine order. We are without God's divine priorities. It's okay, you could say ouch once in a while. I said ouch the whole time I was writing this message. But this is what Paul says in Hebrews, when he's writing about Esau, he said, even though afterwards he sought the blessing with tears, he could not bring about a change of mind. Repentance is an emotion. You are the sum total of the things that you've allowed yourself to conclude and believe. 
and Esau, he wept. He was sorry. In the end, he realized, you know, that was a stupid decision. I, I gave the blessing of God to my brother. He was all emotional. Repentance has nothing to do with emotion by itself. Though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not bring about a change of mind. Repentance is going back to the beginning of a wrong, uh, to the beginning of a thought and an action and an attitude that went wrong in you. Getting to the root of it, ripping it up violently, and saying, God, I recognize where this belief system doesn't line up with you. And I'm going to kick dirt on it. I'm going to tear it down. It is a house of cards. It is an, a, a foundation for demonic activity. This doesn't line up with what you tell me to do and believe. I'm pulling down this high place. And I'm going to turn and change my thinking to line up with your thinking. Amen. When we do that, that's called repentance. And when we do that, wherever the enemy has had a stronghold in our life, that stronghold starts to get destroyed. For example, if someone's wounded you um, deeply and you're bitter towards them and there's anger and you, you want to see them have to pay, sometimes you might want them hurt. And no one here would ever think that. Not even for a split second. And we can't look at them and just praise God. Forgive them. We think the big deal is the act of forgiveness. No, the big deal is the concept and the philosophy of forgiveness. <laughs> to hold resentment, to hold offense, to hold bitterness is to live in contradiction and rebellion to how God says we as his sons and daughters should live. Amen. So, if in life you were called to go to war and you were received trauma and injury, and there's this anger and angst inside of you. God could never heal you internally until you internally deal with the wrong attitude and the wrong disposition. Amen. The heavens will be rend or rent when we start rending strongholds in us and that comes through repentance can I get an agreement so today I want to explain a couple of things to make this sermon really make sense okay and I'm gonna this is where I'm gonna do a bit of teaching now after the service I've printed up 16 pages of notes that you can get if you want I'm not saying that uh, my sermons are noteworthy but what I am saying is, if it means something to you and it registered with you, the printed notes are there. I don't give them out before the service or during the service so that you don't run ahead of me and get distracted. I want to build 
line upon line, precept upon precept, principle by principle of God. Is that all right? Okay. Well, here we go. Uh, to be able to lay a good foundation, I want to clarify some terms that are often used in Scripture. Uh, if you've been here for a while, you, you would have heard me mention this in the past. We're going to quickly go through this again. So the first thing is the heart. The Bible talks a lot about the heart. And if I could have this slide up, in the Hebrew, the Hebrew reference for the word heart is 3820 in what we call the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. It takes every word in the Old Testament, gives it a number, and then gives you the English translation. And then in the Strong's, there it goes through every Greek word in the New Testament, gives it a number, and then gives it a translation. So you can look up the definitions of Hebrew words and Greek words by the reference number and see what the Bible is saying. So what's really interesting is that in the Bible, when the Bible talks about your heart, it's not talking about the physical pump. Every time, whether it's in the Hebrew or in the Greek, the heart is always the mind, the emotions, and the will. And it's translated that way both from the Hebrew and also from the Greek, okay? So the biblical word heart actually result, re refers to the soul of man. The Bible says we are spirit, soul, and body. The world says your body, soul, and spirit. They, they will always take the divine order of God and pervert it. You are first a spirit entity. And then you are a soul, and then you are a physical body. Satan is always trying to distort God's divine order. Because when you have God's divine order out of order, you'll have disorder. The kingdom of darkness is a kingdom of disorder. God is a God of order. He's logical. He makes sense. Line upon line, precept upon precept. You know, in the old days, people used to say, well, if you want to be spiritual, you got to throw your brain away. Really? Before the fall, the first Adam actually had a brain. God is logical. He makes sense. The things of God make sense when you understand the spiritual principles. Look, prior to man learning the laws of aerodynamics and the effects of gravity and certain physics principles, the concept of flying was illogical. For man to fly, it's illogical. But as they started to identify certain principles related to gravity, physics, lift, you know, aerodynamics, oh, the laws of aerodynamics are identifiable and they are logical. When we start to identify the principles of God, the things of the Spirit are identifiable and they are logical. Can I get an amen? And so, <clears throat> the soul consists of three things. The intellectual mind, the emotional mind, and the will. So I'm going to break this down for you a little bit more. 
Because these words, the heart, you're going to find it everywhere in Scripture. And after we define this, we're going to go back to a couple of key Scriptures so that we really understand what God is saying. Okay? So let's go to the next slide. The intellectual mind. If anyone here doesn't have an intellectual mind, raise your hand. Say, no one raise their hand. Oh, please don't raise your hand. <laughs> See me afterwards. We all have an intellectual mind. The intellectual mind consists of three things. Can I have that next slide? Thought analysis department. Your mind, your intellectual mind has a department called thought analysis. It's where you analyze thought. It is the process center of every thought you have ever encountered. You encounter thoughts by what you read. You encounter thoughts by what you hear. Your family culture, and I, right now I'm not even talking about nationality. Uh, the family culture, Scarallo culture, of Alfonso Scarallo and Mary Scarallo. There was a culture inside of that microcosm. And it became part of my belief systems because they were the things we heard over and over again. And they were the things that were acted upon over and over again. And so you, your thought analysis department hears these principles, you process them, and you accept them or you reject them. You listen to the TV. You uh, tap your foot and jive to the music, and you repeat the words that some Satanist has written in a moment of inspiration. And then we wonder why We've created an atmosphere around us that isn't in compliance with the atmosphere of God. We are constantly operating through the thought analysis department. We are processing thought all the time. Advertising. You know what advertising is? It's a thought. They, before they sell you a product, they want to sell you a thought. So advertising is... A thought. They're selling you a thought. If they can sell you on the thought, they will sell you on an action. Hello? All right? So the second part of the intellectual mind, let's go to point two, is your belief systems. So you will process every thought and you will come to a conclusion whether or not you're going to accept it and they get registered in your belief systems. It is your conclusion, and I emphasize your conclusion, of every thought you have ever conceived or received and choose to believe. You see, some thoughts we conceive. Not everything we believe somebody else told us. If I get rejected from my first love, and then I get rejected at my second attempt to find love, I could come to a conclusion that I'm not acceptable. If someone tells me when I'm a kid, you're stupid, you're an idiot, you're not, 
Jeez, you're always a nuisance. You're a pain. You're such a problem. And then in another circumstance, another environment, a whole different scenario, someone repeats a similar thought. It goes through my thought analytical department, and I decide whether or not I'm going to believe that. And if I believe that, it gets registered in my belief system. I have come to a conclusion. Whether someone else said it to me, or it was just the conclusion and the summation of my own thoughts, it gets entered into my belief system. Anything and everything you have ever conceived or received and chosen to believe. The third part of the intellectual mind. Let's go to the third part. It's called your memory. And the memory is the storage center of every sensory piece of information that you have received. Everything you've ever seen, you've watched. You may have watched discrimination take place. You may have watched your father or a male figure that you want to emulate, be lustful and sexual and talk about women in such a way. And you perceive it with your sight, you're watching it, uh, and, and because you respect this person, you are accepting knowledge from their attitude, from their belief system, and you're either going to condone it or condemn it. And the moment we condone it, it becomes a part of our belief system and it gets put into our memory. So the storage center is every sensory piece of information received, whether it's through sight, through sound, through touch, through smell, or taste, and it is the sum total of all your belief systems. If as a little girl... Every time you wanted to be warm and affectionate or cuddly towards daddy and you climbed up on daddy's lap, but suddenly the touch went from a protecting touch to a really strange kind of touch. Whenever in the future of your life you get touched that way, it'll bring you back to a time and a place and a moment. You see, the gateways to the soul are the eyes, the ears, the smell. Sometimes people are triggered by a smell. Sometimes they're triggered by a taste. And if you've been traumatized, whether it's in your childhood, abusive, a verbal abuse or emotional abuse, mental abuse or sexual abuse, whether you've been constantly rejected, it's like our intellectual mind is a recording center, and it records everything, and everything goes through that thought process, and, and what we accept goes and is registered into our belief system, and then it gets put away in the memory. Now we're going to look at the emotional mind. And in your emotional mind, it consists of three compartments as well. And the first one is the emotional analysis department. Where you, your process center processes every mood. From infancy, moods. How many of you know you can experience a mood? 
How many of you know you can experience an atmosphere? I remember in Australia, there was a lady in my church, and her husband had a severe alcoholic problem. And she said, I could tell every time he's going to fall off the wagon and go on a binge, the atmosphere would just change. Atmospheres precede action. And lots of times we struggle with the action and we want to repent of action, but God wants to take us back prior to the action. The action is the end result. We think of repentance, of repenting of this huge sin or this huge mistake. I fell off the wagon. I got drunk and I, you know, blew up my house and, you know, lashed into the kids. We need to repent of our action, but true repentance goes beyond the feelings of remorse for an action that we did. True repentance goes deeper and looks at the belief system that leads to the decisions and the actions that we take. And so in our emotional mind, there's emotional, uh, what I call, uh, this is not stuff I've read or studied. This is stuff that I've understood as I read the Word of God and the Spirit of God talks to me. So, no, I'm not giving you a lecture on psychology. I am telling you how the Word of God defines the heart of man. Okay? So the emotional analysis department, it's a process center of every mood, every atmosphere, every sense or emotion you've ever encountered. Then the next, number two, your emotions become belief systems. Your conclusion and ratification of every emotional feeling you have about life, about yourself, and about others. You know, I find it an interesting thing. At times, I could have had a wonderful day in the Lord. And I can go to sleep, wake up, not remembered anything I dreamt of, and there's an atmosphere of heaviness and condemnation as I'm waking up. And I have to consciously rebuke that atmosphere. Atmosphere is often the presence of spirit. You need to understand these things. While we live in a very real wor world and the world throws all these terms around, you need to be able to identify them from a spiritual perspective. Amen. An atmosphere is filled with spirit. God inhabits the praises of his people. Isn't that what scripture says? Have you ever watched a horror movie and took the soundtracks out? It's not scary. When you take the music out, doom, 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 you take out the soundtrack, it's not scary. And in fact, sometimes it's really comical. Do it. Watch a horror, well, not that I recommend watching horror movies, but, you know, if you ever have the opportunity, watch a sound, uh, a video clip of a potentially a, a scary scene. Take out the sound, and the thing is comical. Why? Fear 
lives in the atmosphere. It's spirit. Atmosphere is often spirit. So when you come here and you don't tra- treat the praise and worship just like, okay, let's get that over and done with. But you get into the praise and worship with all of your heart. You are creating an atmosphere filled with the presence of God. Absolutely. And so atmospheres, depression is an atmosphere of a demonic act, uh, presence who's trying to convince you of some thought process locked away in your soul. You're a failure. You're an idiot. You're stupid. You're not Italian, so, you know, you always heard people say Italians are better. Rubbish. What a load of rubbish. I have found, I'm Italian, all right, so I'm going to knock on myself. I have found some Italians as foolish and foolhardy as any other nationality. We hear things and we process it, and then we attach emotion to thought. And the emotions ratify and validate some of the thought processes that were instituted in us. We received them or conceived them and accepted them as belief systems and they're locked away in our memory. And so if you grew up with dad or mom rejecting you or telling you you're an idiot or just always hovering with this, here, here, I had to get delivered of a spirit of inferiority. Now, my father never called me an idiot. My mother never called me an idiot. But I struggled with rejection. Perceived rejection is just as real to the individual as received rejection. My dad didn't talk Italian, so we didn't communicate. Uh, Sorry, my dad didn't talk American, so we didn't communicate. So it was always my mother communicating with us. But as a little boy filled with a sense of inferiority, I just assumed rejection. In my conscious mind, I knew my dad loved me because he came home every night. There was always food on the table, and we were always clothed. But in my emotional mind, the feelings of rejection were rampant. Okay, so belief systems in your emotional mind, they are the conclusions and the ratification of every emotional feeling you have about life, about yourself, or about others. And thirdly, you have an emotional memory. It is the storage center of every recorded emotion And it is tied to an event. It's tied to a time and a place and sometimes a person. Okay? And we have this. You know how the Bible says if two are in agreement? Okay. Since I'm not getting agreement. Let me teach you. The Bible says that if two or three agree. You know how the Bible says if two or three agree? Right? So stand up, Joe. You and I could come into agreement. Stand up, Malcolm. Would you do that, please? Now, the three of us could come into agreement. The Bible says if two or three agree, there's power. Correct? Thank you, guys. Give them a big hand. 
appreciate them. But before I agree with Malcolm or before I agree with Joe, there's a primary place that we don't even realize that we're often in agreement. And that is in the mind of our intellect and the mind of our emotions. And if there are belief systems in my mind of intellect and corresponding belief systems in the mind of my emotions and they're in agreement, the mind, the emotions trigger the will. And we start to act out of the things we believe in the heart. The Bible calls it the heart. Here, I'm going to give you this next slide. If, and if you want to take pictures of the slide, that's okay. Uh, and you can get the notes afterwards. What your intellectual mind accepts as a fact and your emotional mind affirms or comes into agreement with, your will will enact or bring about. When our intellectual mind comes to conclusions and we have a belief system that's contrary to what God says, it is demonic. And when we come into agreement with that in our intellectual mind. For example, things are always going to go wrong for me. Nothing ever works out. You know what? Things start to go good and then they go bad. God says, I have a hope and a plan for you. And it's a plan and a hope for your success, not for your failure. So maybe you grew up in an environment where you're constantly beat up on. We come to a belief system. I've registered this thought. Everything always goes wrong for me. You notice that what you believe Passionately, you also believe emotionally. Okay? And so oftentimes we're in agreement between the intellectual mind and the emotional mind. And when we do that, it, it triggers our will. We're in agreement. We've submitted to these thought systems, these belief systems. And sometimes we will act out a certain way. But listen to this. Listen, sometimes it will attract to us that outcome. Say, so, oh, is that karma? No, we're not of the world. In Proverbs it says, guard your heart. For out of it will come the issues you're going to face in life. Guard your heart. Because out of it will come the issues that you will face in life. Wow. Good teaching, Pastor Ron. So let me conclude now by taking this understanding and putting it in a couple of really important scriptures. Because I believe that God is moving in the midst of us. And I believe God wants to continue to move in the midst of us. But I also believe that as we repent more and more, not out of emotion, not because we did something really big, but because we're living a lifestyle of becoming more and more sensitive to what grieves the Holy Spirit of God.
As we do that, we will step into an atmosphere that changes from demonic to God's holy supernatural. And it's called revival. If you want a revival, give the Lord a shout. So all of this becomes less relevant if we don't tie it to Scripture. So let's see what the Word of God says. In Joel chapter 2, verse 12, this is what God says. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. To return to God is repentance. Repentance is you're going in one direction and you turn around and you go in the opposite direction. To repent. God says, return to me with all of your heart. Everything that's in your intellectual mind, every belief system, every opinion you've come to, everything that you've believed, and everything that's in your emotions, everything you've ratified to be emotionally correct, turn from it and turn back to me. With fasting and weeping and mourning, rend your heart, not your garments. So I'm going to break that down for you real quick. Number one, when we return to God with all of our heart, that's true repentance. Uh, We don't have that as a slide. My mistake, I didn't highlight it for the guys up the back. Number one, when God says return to me with all your heart, That's true repentance. God is saying bring every belief system, every intellectual, emotional thought conclusion back to me. That is, what he's saying is, exchange your version of truth for my version of the truth. There are many versions of truth, but there is only one truth. God is the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. You'll get versions of truth, but they're lies. God is the truth. So, number one, he's saying, hey, this is true repentance. Bring every belief system, both intellectual and emotional beliefs, the things you believe in your heart, and exchange your version of truth for my version of truth. Number two, he says, rend your heart. Isn't it interesting? Last week, God gives us rend the heavens, and he says the first step to rending the heavens is repentance. Now God's saying, rend your heart. You see, when we repent in our thoughts, And our emotions, when all of our philosophies, when all of our grudges, when all of our anger, when all of our angst, when all of our fear, when all of our rejection, when all of our inferiority is chopped down because it doesn't line up with what God says about me or it doesn't line up with what God says about this Hispanic brother or this black brother or this white brother, when when. I allow my hurts, when I allow my prejudice, when I allow my opinion to remain in effect above the Word of God, I've created an altar 
and an idol that Yahweh doesn't live in. And so when it says rend your heart, remember the word rend means to tear apart violently. <laughs> so in other words, what God is saying, violently go through and tear up every belief of thought or emotion that doesn't line up with God's thoughts on emotion and emotions on any and every subject and replace them with his. Rend your heart, violently tear up every premise, every foundation, every doctrine, every idea. Look, if thoughts weren't important, why does Paul talk about the fact that doctrines of demons get into the church? Devil knows that he wants to infiltrate our belief system and just change it slightly from what God says because then he has the ability to manipulate and control us. Number three, he says, rend your heart, not your garments. Get on you, Matt. Even though I didn't highlight it, you're getting it up there. Thank you. Everyone give Matt a big hand. He says, rend your heart, not your garments. Repentance isn't a sacrifice. Well, I'll do this to make up for it. No, no. That's not repentance. It's not an emotion of sorrow. Can true repentance have emotion? Of course, you've got to bring your, the mind of your thoughts and the mind of your emotions into agreement. But it's not just emotion. Repentance isn't a sacrifice. It's not an emotion of sorrow. It's a deliberate action of going through everything we believe and eradicating anything and everything that doesn't come into conformity with what God says we should think and do. Isn't it interesting that when we read about spiritual warfare in Corinthians, Paul says the weapons we fight with are not like the weapons of the world. So you've all heard about what the bomb did in Hiroshima. You've all heard about what nuclear bombs could do. The word of God, which is absolute truth, says the spiritual weapons you have make that look like milk. The spiritual weapons we fight with pull down spiritual strongholds. Before we start pulling the strongholds down in the atmosphere, we need to pull the strongholds down in us. And we all have some. We do. We all have some. During, during worship, I was thinking, you know, I have Amber in the audience here. She's my second oldest daughter, and I have Amy. She's my first oldest. My son's up in New York. And during worship, I started to weep. And I thought, God, if only I could gather my kids. They've trusted me and believed me. And there was the culture of the Scarala household. If I could gather all my kids and share my heart with them, I would say to them, don't believe anything that dad, Rob Scarallo, taught you 
or showed you by his lifestyle or did that doesn't line up absolutely with the word of God. Because anything that came from me that doesn't line up absolutely and solely with the word of God will lead you to destruction. Repentance is taking belief systems that don't line up with God's righteousness. Emotional or mental. And kicking the legs out from everything that has gotten in our heart. That some demon has said, oh, goody, goody, I could hide in this little place where they're in disagreement with God. And from this place, I will pull the strings of their life. I believe we're moving towards a move of God. Tuesday night, I went to the prayer meeting and Pastor Jan runs. There was 23 people there. And they were crying out to God. We put the electricity on in Sweet B. I said, you know what? You need a bigger room. <laughs> if you want to join them for prayer Sunday morning before church, go. If you want to join them on a Tuesday night, go. But the more we become sensitive to God's thoughts and God's emotions, the more the atmosphere above us and around us will bow its knee to the atmosphere of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. In Psalm 51, and I'm going to close here. Look, there are sometimes, you know, we could have a short word. There are sometimes you just have to build foundation. And in Psalm 51, David, you know, <laughs> I love the fact that the word of God is real. It's very real. And here was David, this good kid. He got chosen to be king because he had such a heart after God. But he screwed up just like we screw up. And one day as he's king and his armies are out to war, he decides not to go to war. He's taking a vacation. You can never take a vacation from the things of God. You can go on vacation, but you never put the things of God on hold. He did. And he's on top of the palace, and he's looking over his kingdom, and he sees ten houses down, this beautiful woman bathing. You know, if you happen to see it and, and you turn away, that's not a sin. But if you go back and lean over so you can get a better look, that is a sin. You can't stop birds from flying over your head. Thoughts will come, but if you entertain the thought, you've allowed the bird to build a nest. David sleeps with the woman. She gets pregnant. And now there's guilt and condemnation, and he wants to hide his sin. 
We either get rid of the baby or we get rid of the husband. All right, let's get rid of the husband. Read between the lines. He sends her husband to the front lines and he tells his commander when he's in the heat of the battle, pull back, knowing he'll die. David became guilty of murder and adultery. Sin will only lead to worse sin. Absolutely. And David, when he's finally confronted and he comes to a place of repentance, he writes a psalm called Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, verse 16 to 17, he says, God, you don't delight in sacrifice. Oh, I would bring it. See, repentance isn't about what you can do to make up for it. Sacrifice isn't about spilling blood or trying to volunteer around the church or I'm going to be really good for the next three months. <laughs> David says, God, you don't delight in sacrifice or I would have brought it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings or I would give them. Now listen to this. My sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Contrite means crushed, ripped open. He said, God, the repentance that you accept, the sacrifice you accept, is when I go through my mind and my thought systems and my belief systems and my value systems, and I go through my emotions and I analyze why did I do what is wrong. It's one thing to repent of the action. It's another thing to repent of the heart condition that led to the action. So he says, my sacrifice is a changed heart, a heart that I've investigated, a mind that I've investigated, emotions that I've investigated. God, I repent of the arrogant, foolish, selfish ways, and I come back to your way of thinking so that I will never act my, out of my old way of thinking. When we think like God thinks, we'll act like God acts. And when we think the way we want to think, we will act the way we've acted. Can I get an agreement? Am I making sense, church? Look at verse 4 in Psalm 51. This is what David says. He says, against you. Now, this is the same psalm. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Wait a minute. He killed a man. He took his wife, got her pregnant, and killed a man. David, how can you say, how can this be the inspired word of God? This is what David was saying. David's acknowledgement isn't that he didn't sin against anyone else. His acknowledgement was that all sin starts from being out of agreement with God's verdicts of truth. In other words, David didn't just look at the act of what he did. He came back and said, the reason why I did what I did was, God, I was out of agreement with your principles in the first place.
repentance. It's actually to our advantage. And it will always work in our favor. When we, you know, David says, search my heart and see if there's some offensive way in me. Church, this isn't about taking a cat of nine tails and living life, whipping yourself. Oh, I'm, forgive me, I'm wicked, I'm evil. No, this is about a journey of growing more and more sensitive to what will grieve the holy presence of God. Amen. Come on, let's stand. I know I, I laid out a lot of information. I know it could feel a little long-winded. But these are things that need to adjust, uh, address who we are. These are the things that will constantly bring us back to a right place with God if we understand these principles. As we close in prayer this morning, I know who I am in Christ. I am the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. I am. I am the righteousness of God. But because I am the righteousness of God, I want to make sure that everything my ears have heard, my eyes have seen, every emotional conclusion I've come to, I want to make sure it lines up with the righteous heart of God. And if it doesn't, then there's room for a little bit more repentance. Didn't Jesus say, take up your cross and die? There's room for a bit of repentance all the time. I believe that God has been speaking and moving. And I could make an emotional call and get people at the altar but that's not what this is about. This is about you and I doing our due diligence and reading through our thoughts and looking for the passages in our book that doesn't line up with the passages in God's book. And as we turn from that, God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. I will heal their land. Our land needs a great healing. And that is no political inference. It is a spiritual indictment on the church of Jesus Christ. as one who gives account for you. When it comes to speaking the truth, I'm not going to let the time determine how much of the truth I give you. I want every one of you to be prosperous. I want every one of you to be a millionaire. I want every one of you to have the blessing of God. But more than anything, I want every one of you to be right with God in, in how you think and how you see and how you live. Because I would rather, 
I would rather be poor in my pocket and right in my heart with God than anything else.